to another episode of The Appeal, a.k.a. Walker's Appeal. Uh, this is On The Wake Up Radio. Don't forget to check us out on otwtube, dot com. Again, uh, shout out to Sister Cindy Ashby. I am Oz Bryan. Our guest today, we have a very special guest. Um, this brother, uh, I've admired his brother for years, and, and uh, I wanted to, to take this opportunity to give him his flowers. You know, show him we appreciate him, and, and, and get a get into to his mind and how he thinks. Because, um, you know, there are people, right, who who are great. There are people who have done a lot for the advancement of our people, and um, we 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 might see them, right, or people are around them, but they didn't. They they read about them in books when they could have went and worked with them. You know, and so therefore, my mentors, the the whiteheads, have always said, you know, get involved, right? If, if there's a, if there's, if if Martin's around, you, <laughs> and he's doing great things, uh, go help the brother, right? If Booker right. T's around, he's doing great things, go help the brother. <laughs> Same WB, same Marcus Garvey, right? Um, in the time we, and those, because those people aren't really admired while they're alive. Right. Um, King King was not that popular when he was alive <laughs> towards the end of his life. Right? right. He was no, he's famous, but uh, there, there's people who really uh weren't there for him. Same thing with, with, with Marcus Garvey, right? Uh same thing <laughs> with Malcolm X, right? Uh th there's a lot of greats in black life who we don't really get to appreciate un until they're gone. And uh we gotta we gotta do better than that. But uh Dr. Rockman Munaj. <laughs> Um, I've, I've mentioned on the program in the past weeks about the uh, science, the STEM program we're running here in Southeast Queens, and this is the brother that uh, is leading that program, Brother Rockman. Uh, I'm going to shut my mouth, and I'm going <laughs> to turn it over to you, Brother Rockman. Introduce yourself. Uh, tell the folks about yourself and your story. Yes, greetings and peace and blessings. Um, yeah, so uh, we do a clean energy program uh, in the community. It's been going on for um, uh, 10 years now. Yeah, 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 good 10 years, since 2011. And what we do is a hands-on project where students uh, build wind turbines, uh, construct hydrogen fuel cell systems, and uh, they also experiment with solar panel systems. And um, uh, for each system uh, uh, that the students build and experiment with, uh, they measure voltage, current, uh, calculate power. We also discuss the theoretical um, uh, 
uh, basis of, of each of each of those uh, devices, the technologies, the theoretical basis for converting wind energy um, into electric energy, the theoretical basis for um, converting water into electricity um, without using turbines, and, and that's you know uh, of course through uh, water electrolysis. Um, and we also discussed the theoretical foundations for um, converting uh, sunlight or light any period into uh, electrical energy. And our purpose for engaging students in this hands-on uh, theoretical activity is to um, uh, allow them to exercise their research capabilities. You see, um, in, 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 in my philosophy or what I've been seeing, I should say, through my um, own engagement with students and human beings, I've seen that every human being has a research capability and creative capability. Uh, and we can exercise those things, particularly in science and mathematics, if we consistently engage students in those activities where they're, um, they're exploring, uh, coming up with their own uh, ideas of the experiments that they're working with, and mind you, all of this is hands-on and it's very important that students are doing science and not just reading science and mathematics. So um, yeah, so our program exercises the students' scientific and mathematical research abilities. Uh, and it gets better and better um, each time they come in and experiment and explore. All right, thank you, thank you. Uh, so uh, our topic today is uh, why do we need independent black education? Right, independent black education. Um, uh, as always, on, on on the appeal, aka Walker's appeal, we function in the spirit of Sankofa, where we always look backwards in uh, in order to understand where we're going. We have to understand our past, and uh, some of the things we're going to get into today. Uh, so this this week in Black history, uh, we had the first issue of Ebony Magazine was published on uh, November first of nineteen forty five. We got the first issue of Jet Magazine <laughs> published on November 1st of 1951. We have the first issue of the Negro Digest on November 1st of 1942. That's all, all three of those publications were started by John Johnson. We will get into him a little later, talking about black independence. Uh, also, this on November 1st, <laughs> a lot happened on November 1st, uh, back in 1910, uh, was the first issue of the crisis, and again, we're on on the wake up radio. We're talking about independent black media, um, and uh, towards the end of the show, we're gonna uh, again. It looks like we're gonna have a, a second black mayor of New York City, and uh, I wanted to remember Charles Diggs Jr. Uh, for some of you who don't know, we'll get into him a little later. Uh, he was elected this week. Whoa, I should have I forgot the year. Shame on me, but I get that information to you later. But um, uh, let's 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 let it go. So uh, so we're talking about independence first, <laughs> and black mm -hmm. education specifically. I know, brother Rockman, you talk about you're you dealing you're you're a scientist, you're dealing with the sciences, but uh, you're an educator foremost, right? Um, yes. What <clears throat> are the principles different? Because right? you're dealing with pretty young children, right? You're dealing with ages twelve to fifteen right now in the program, and you're yes. done with even younger, correct? Yes. So uh, as, a, as an educator now, uh, do you see what's the difference between getting a child to understand physics as opposed to getting to know how to just read and write? 
what is, are there fundamentally anything? Is there, or what's the similarities? That's actually yeah, yeah. I rather I rather mention the similarities yeah. than the dis, than the Absolutely. differences because the differences is really just a matter of um what they're doing. I mean, if they're studying apples and they're studying screwdrivers, well, apples and screwdrivers are not the same. So that's the difference. But um, the the similarity uh, in for learning is um a consistent engagement with the topic, whatever the topic is. Um, so that in, in mathematics and science, um, as students, uh, and I keep saying consistently, uh, meaning every day, as students uh, uh, engage in science and mathematics every day through hands-on experiments, through um, through discussions, open discussions on what how they feel about what they just saw, um, and through also reading um, and, and speaking on or, or, or learning on the, the theoretical activity uh, with that undergirds the experiment, doing this each every day, um, it, it only develops the student's mind along a scientific track because that it became their culture. It became their daily culture or weekly culture. Um, as opposed to just um, watching something on television or watching a video on science or just or just having a sheet of paper talking about magnetism and the students never touch a magnet. And then they might be able to memorize that sheet and, 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 and answer the questions well, but there's, there's really no scientific engagement going on. So in order to learn science and mathematics, a culture for it has to be um, has to be uh, developed in the student's environment. In other words, a student has to do this frequently. When I speak about developing a culture, same thing with reading and writing. I mean, uh, we develop in in a in in the culture of English language. Over um, in Nigeria, the students who grow up in the culture of the Yoruba language, uh, in China, students are growing up in the culture of Chinese language. Right. So so the child in any of those languages just starts speaking. They, they know what nouns fit the concepts and things that they want to speak about. They start conjugating verbs properly in the, whatever culture they're in because of consistent usage. Um, and and, um, and th that, that's really the main point, because there's no magic to this. You don't have to be a genius to master any of the um, or to be a good student in any of the uh, uh, topics that you're trying to study and in writing as well. Reading and writing, if the student um, starts reading and writing early, why they just get better and better and better as long as they consistently exercise this uh, ability that they have already. So we don't really give abilities to students, we exercise them. So when you see uh, like, uh, so we, we both live in Southeast Queens, when you see the the test scores for math and reading, uh, I mean, we're talking about proficiency levels. Proficient, seven percent in some cases, eight percent, twelve percent. In some cases, a high is fifty percent. That's a high for Southeast Queens mm -hmm. relative to the rest of the borough, where I, I harp about this a lot. I think I'm harped about it to you. Where especially specifically English, we have communities 
um, other side of Queens who are predominantly, you know, maybe Spanish speaking or, or Middle Eastern and where English for the community is a second language and they are outperforming us on English exams <laughs> in, in the public schools. Uh, where do you think uh, that comes from? How do you think we got here? Well, again, I say usage. Um, um, if, it, if, if our students, um, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll say something about my, my upbringing and many of my friends' upbringing when, when I was like eight years old and all of that sort of stuff. So, so, you know, everybody goes to school, the teacher teaches you the topic in math, science or English or whatever, and then we get homework. And my mother made me do homework uh, every night. You see, so 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 Monday through Friday, I'm doing homework. I hated it, but um, all that did was build up a, a culture. Um, reading became a culture for me. Uh, solving those uh, multiplication problems and stuff became a culture for me. So whatever the teachers taught, they did their thing during the day. They had us for six hours. But then our parents exercised it. Um, and this went on in many households. It wasn't just mine. I'm just giving an example. So um, uh, on weekends, of course, we had a break. But my mother did make me do some something on Sundays also. I used to hate that. But that that's besides the point. So what, what, what I'm getting at is that that wasn't magic. It was a consistent. Um, I was consistently using the topics that the teachers were teaching because my mother um, was mothering and coaching me. You see what I'm saying? And she did the same thing with my brothers. Um, uh, uh, so in the communities nowadays, you find in the Asian communities in particular, there are uh, many of their professionals, their, their professionals contribute to the community by, um, by one, establishing uh, after-school programs where uh, where, where students um, are practicing their mathematics. They're practicing their writing, their English. Figure English is a second lang language. They're practicing speaking and, and writing English. And, and this goes on, um, um, I don't know, maybe, I know it's more than twice a week. The test scores will tell you how hard, <laughs> how hard they're studying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in, in our community, right, if, if you, well, clearly, um, whatever our students are, um, whatever teachers are presenting to the students in the classroom, um, uh, I don't know um, if it's a high enough number of students that's actually um, rehearsing this material on, on, a, on, a, on a nightly basis when they come home. You see, that's crucial. So, so many of the teachers, are, in, in my opinion, are doing a good job at giving um, what I call a commercial in the classroom because that's all you really have is commercial time with the student in the classroom. Um, uh, you explain to them how this works or you you explain to them about a certain concept. Then when the student goes home, just like with college students, I don't care if it's a nine-year-old, if it's a 20-year-old, the student has to go home and, and rehearse the work again and delve into it on, on a nightly basis uh, in order for them to, to, to develop what we call this, um, this proficiency in, on all this. So, so it's not like any other culture. 
uh, has more brains than ours. <laughs> it's just that um, um, I doubt, I doubt, um, and and I don't know all the statistics. I don't even follow the statistics. I just hear all of these disasters. You know, where our community doesn't have this and have that. But I doubt if if our students are being coached on a regular basis along the lines of mathematics, science, uh, reading, and writing. Some some are obviously. I mean, I meet. You know, yeah, on the other hand, let me say this. Let me say this. Um, I taught at uh, Morehouse College, Spelman College, Clark Atlanta University. Um, I taught at Grambling State University. Um, and I've met um, black geniuses. Yeah, yeah. I, mean. I had students solve some problems that I couldn't solve in math that day. Maybe my mom is lazy or whatever, but I'm just saying it. So it's, it's not like our whole population of course, of, of, of children are not doing well on tests or are not excelling academically. I just wanted to make that statement because I like to speak about our height also rather than this ongoing conversation about something that we can solve just by uh, setting up uh, after school programs that that actually coach students in, in, in mathematics and science and coach students in understanding it. And, and that's why I. Um, my appeal is to more more of our professionals in Queens, Southeast Queens, our black professionals contributing time uh, during the week. <laughs> um, somebody has to be there. Yeah. We can't just stick a tutor, a tutor, um, and many of the tutors are good, but we just can't stick a tutor in the face of our students and have them just do like, like sheets of paper and do a billion, a billion multiplication problems. Uh, it, 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 it does take uh, experts in the field in mathematics and science and, and experts in the field of English, you know, writing and, and speech to be present with our students. Um, and you don't have to be out every night, but I'm just saying, I mean, my schedule is twice a week, but suppose another um, brother or sister came out another two days a week to do science and mathematics with the students. That means that that student gets four days a week of a after school program working with a professional. And I know many professionals at, at, at uh, my college at Borough Manhattan uh, Community College, the Chinese professionals that, that contribute time in the evenings to work in their community. Um, so, so their students are connected with professionals. They're not just connected with the after school program that feeds them and shoves <laughs> paper, paper on their throat. And and it is it's hard work. It's it's hard work that the community has to put in. The professional community has to put in, uh, uh, in in order to work with our students and be present with our students, to sit with our students. Yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, you were talking about your mother there for a second, and who uh, we just had a conversation with a parent who said she doesn't understand what her kids are doing in school, so she doesn't feel that she could be of aid. And I want to push back and say that, you know, um, well, have you respond that, you know, when we were reconstruction, late 1800s, the parents didn't know how to read, but they still went out and built schools. They, you know, we, we built more doctors oh, and lawyers in oh, schools oh. coming yeah. out of slavery when you had your parents couldn't read or write. So I know that. So, um, how do you square that away? I mean, in other words, well, you don't have a parent who can sit down with you, right? Well, well, my mother, my mother and my father never went to college. 
They didn't go to college. <laughs> they 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 built our family and then they were working. But when when something came home that I had to do, um, well, and I would say that uh, the people my mother's my mother's age group and and older, my well, my mother would have been ninety four. My father's still around. He's ninety four now. Yeah, I know your father. That's right? right, that age group. Don't ask me how, but they know mathematics. They they know how to um, they know how to do basic mathematics in their head, percents, all kind of figures in their head. And this is without college. This is without college. So, um, and that's on the number side. And they also knew how to write. They know how to construct sentences. They know how to um, uh, uh, uh. In other words, they could help us with our basic um, uh. uh elementary school work maybe not all the high school work because when it came to algebra it got a little funny it got a little funny with my parents but by then i was able to you know hack through it because they had already um uh instilled in me this uh this work acumen you see uh again i was eight years old sitting at the table i'm crying and i don't want to do this work and my mother's making me do it right so eight years old nine years old it keeps every year this this type of regimen goes on just like we do with an athlete right take a basketball player young basketball player football player we make them work every night or every day right they do some sports and they cry sometimes they fall down they may even break something so you let them heal and you get them right back out there right so you start a young person at eight years old playing basketball or football by the time they're 18 they're at it they are there like they're at it with, with, with this, right? So in a similar way, again, there's no magic. I'm just speaking about something that just takes um, consistency and time, right? So back to the um, uh, what our parents need to know, uh, elementary school uh, work is, 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 is basic. Many of the parents do know. I don't know about parents that say they can't do elementary school work. I haven't met. <laughs> I, there's probably some I would say that but I haven't met them that's not in my experience in my experience I met parents that can do the elementary school work with their children but they prefer not to so I, I use the word prefer they prefer not to um, do the patience or whatever you know staying up with their children doing this work because yeah, it's hard I mean I gave my mother a hard time I was crying and everything you know so so that's that's tough but a coach, um, a mom or a dad or a coach is going to work it out, is, is going to be there um, with, their, with their child working this out to, um, uh, to make sure that their child excels in whatever it is they have to do. Um, again, now, when you, when you come up to the high school level where, where you start getting algebra, chemistry, physics, and and there may be certain writing levels like students might have to uh, write something that parents are just not using every day so the parent will say well i have to set my mind to this again we can have um uh after school with with professionals our professionals that our professional educators that are there right that um know how to get this done and and since we're educators, we know how to coach students also. When students break down and cry, they don't want to do something one night, we're there. So we wouldn't put that on the on the parent. You see. 
another thing. So, uh, Dr. Edward Robinson, um, uh, of Philadelphia, he spent his majority of his life trying to get black history into schools in Philadelphia. Uh, I think this is probably back in the fifties, sixties, and even the seventies. Um, he passed away in his nineties, uh, a few years back, right? Maybe 10 years ago. Um, a, uh, Dr. Malafa Asante came up under him out of Philly. And, um, you know, there's recent talk and big, actually, the big talk now is about black history in schools. And, and you have some very unique opinions about that. Uh, you, you like to share? What, what do you think about, again, today, the, the theme of today's show was independent black education. Right. What do you think well, about well, uh, trying to get yeah the schools to do certain things for our children, especially like black history? Right. So 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 there's two sides to that. And I'll speak to both sides since we're public, but usually I'm one sided. <laughs> oh, I'm a, yeah. I mean, I'm going to tell the truth about myself. I, I have um, a way that I see need uh, should be done and I'm focused on that. But I'm, yes, I'm on that other team. Right. But I'll speak to both as an educator and even as a student of life. I mean, yes. you don't just say one one side of things. So. So, yeah, this is two sided. Um, on, on a popular on a popular side, um, we're taxpayers and <laughs> and uh, we expect that the schools that uh, we pay taxes for um, uh, educate our students properly. We expect that they have teachers that know um, the knowledge content uh, that they should per, cl per class. We also expect that um, uh, the history that's taught is simply true. Okay, I won't even say fair, you know, fair on one side or the other. You know, you have to teach it, you know, all to the Hispanics or the blacks or the or the or the, or the um Asians. Whatever history you're teaching on, if you teach the truth, you'll see everybody in it. And whether whether uh um you know whether um somebody's the underdog during that period of history or not, we expect that, right? Um so while our students are in the public schools, we, um, we need a, a percent of our people put laying pressure on the public school system. Let's see, now I'm speaking two sides. Probably never heard me say this before, right? <laughs> we, but we do, because I, it's, it's not like um, we're just going to pull all the Black people out of, out of the schools because they're not teaching history and drag them over to our own schools. Number one, we don't even have enough of our own schools. Now I'm going to speak about the other side. Um, uh, it is also important for us to have our own so uh, and, and be building our own because building independent institutions is a gradual process, right? It doesn't have to be too gradual where it never happens, right? But it is. It's a gradual process. And we need a percent, now I'm speaking, we need a percent of our educators and, and, and business people to um, be working on that program of building independent institutions, uh, learning institutions, and even independent um, uh, jobs and factories or whatever you want to call it. While we need to be doing that, while another percent of us, right, I call it the popular percent, is pursuing, um, you know, uh, is, is monitoring, monitoring the schools where our students are going. Um, 
and and what I'm speaking to is you you mentioned the brother that was speaking um, trying to push um, a, a true Black History program in the public schools. This has been going on since we were little. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've been doing it since we we you, <laughs> we were little. Yes. Okay, so so now watch this. So back then, back then, we still needed pressure on the schools. And we needed pressure on ourselves to build something for ourselves, right? Because now, 50 something years later, right, we still don't have no, let me put up the right finger. We still don't <laughs> we still don't have we don't have sufficient amount of independent institutions, even if we did pull all of our children out, but we're still at the same uh, uh we're still using the same amount of energy and time um proven to somebody else's system that we need that they need to be fair and teach and teach our culture properly teach our history properly to our students so what what that tells me is that there could be another 50 years going by <laughs> right where you and i'd be sitting with gray hair and stuff and we'll be having the same talk right and i'll be saying wow there should have been a percent of people building something so that 50 years from now um, we can have a majority of our own students learning from our own institutions, right? So what I keep witnessing um, from history and what I witness now in the present is that a huge, 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 huge percent of our educators and our geniuses and our business people um, put more time into forcing or, or shaping or trying to get fairness out of somebody else's house. And I'm saying it just like that because that's why it's a problem because it's somebody else's house. It's not a matter of, oh, uh, the city or the state understands that we pay taxes, so it's everybody's house. It just hasn't worked like that and it's not like that now. So back to it. If we take too many of our, um, too, too much of our intellectual resource to shape somebody's house why after a while each generation gets older we won't ever build a house for our future children we we won't i mean i'm, I'm just speaking outright logic i'm not even this again uh elijah muhammad spoke to us um marcus garvey spoke to us noble drew ali spoke to us um who's that vernon john spoke to us about this um Martin Luther King, <laughs> Vernon mentor, john. Mentor. Yeah. he was another independent uh, minded person yes, and and each of the people i just mentioned uh, louis minister farrakhan right each of the people i just mentioned um uh understands that we're just not gonna jump and snatch all of our people out of the institution and that you do need to keep laying pressure on um yeah well, the power, we keep saying the power. <laughs> we need to keep laying pressure on institutions that we're paying, right? I say it like that. Um, but the same people I just mentioned also understood that if you keep taking your intellectual and business resource and doing that, I mean, 90% of us out always marching and standing in front of places with billboards and all this type of stuff, and we take and our lawyers are geniuses, our educators are geniuses, and we spend time literally arguing um, 
arguing against these systems and trying to shape them for fairness, right? While while at at home, who's shaping who's shaping the children um, on the streets, or, or 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 what institutions are we building? Also, while while that war is going on, while, while that confrontation is going on, look look when America fights a war. Every single person in the country doesn't go over to Afghanistan, right, or Iraq. There's a group of scientists that stay at home to build home, right, while that fight's going on, whether the war is, you know, right or wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a strategy um, where our collect our our intellectual and business resources um, can really be used to build something. Now we got a double time. It's not we can't be so gradual because it's every every time we turn around there's some conference that talks about how bad the school system is and how our children are not making it. And it's worse than it's ten years ago. It's worse than 10 years ago. Well, I know you could say it's worse than 40 years ago, right? And if it keeps getting that bad while we keep increasing in educators and brilliant black people. But the system keeps getting that bad. We could have, right, and we must build something so that we can gradually take on our own children. But now, since it's kind of like an emergency, it's like, I mean, parents will come up and tell me, you know, my child not even doing science in school and stuff. And I knew that was going on before, but I said, y'all just like, we had this conversation. The conversation I'm having with you, I had a long time ago. <laughs> yes. And the parents would come up and tell you, and you know, and then what should I do with the school? I said, well, you're gonna have to start training them at home, also, and also make the students do their work. Make sure you coach them with the work that the that the teachers are teaching them, right? All the work's not bad just because it's public school. It's not, you know, we just don't roll with that and say, oh, you know, that's that system, you know, blah blah blah. That's not um, a, a good way to look at it, especially when you, I mean, I used to tutor in public schools and stuff like that and help students. And the, 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 the knowledge content is the knowledge content. And the student needs to go home and practice. <laughs> On the other hand, they need to practice. You know, and in some colleges that I went to, I had terrible teachers in, 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 in my undergraduate college. I had some teachers were terrible. But it was up to me to practice and study that work and stay up late doing that. You see, and I partied also, but I stayed, <laughs> but I stayed up late and I worked. So a lot of that um, came on my own responsibility after a while. And students have to learn that they have to get and parents have to instill that work ethic in, in students if we're going to build an independent nation. So. Um... We talked about independent black institutions. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, this is the anniversary for not only Crisis, but Jet, Ebony, and Negro Digest. Uh, three of those institutions solely the responsibility of the outgrowth and the work of uh, Brother uh, John Johnson. Um, of uh, <clears throat> and he did it, you know, working. I mean, he started out working in insurance and uh, selling insurance. And he took the list of his uh, clients. And he, that's who he started his subscriptions with for his magazines. And lo and behold, a decade later, you know, he built a, 
true independent institution. And one mm. of the the, the uh, I guess uh, turning points for that institution it was 1955 uh, with the uh, murder of Emmett Till and the publication of it. Right, so, you know, if you would depending on white press, they would have probably swept it under the rug. But you know, the open casket, Mammy, uh, it was it was it was jet. Well, 1955, so that means it was uh, actually this could have been both of them, right? Jet and Ebony, actually. Uh, I'm not, don't quote me on that. It was, I'm not sure if it was both, but it was definitely one one of the two <laughs> uh, published it, making okay. it uh, national news. All right. Um, today, this week, actually on Tuesday, New York City elected its second black mayor in, uh, in, in, in Brother Eric Adams. And, yes, congratulations. Uh, congratulations, to, brother Eric Adams. Congratulations, right? <laughs> I want to juxtapose that with Robert Charles Diggs Jr. So Charles Diggs Jr. was elected to Congress in 1954. The year, yeah, well, the same exact year that it was killed, and of course Montgomery Bus boycotts at this time in the country. Now we have a lot of black representatives now, right? But back then, especially in Congress. We had three. Okay. We had brother uh, Charles. I think it was Charles Dawson out of Chicago. We had our, our Adam Clayton Powell here in, ha in Harlem, and there was Charles Diggs Jr. in Detroit. Okay. Now we're from New York, so Adam Clayton Powell gets a lot of uh, attention, and rightly so. He did a lot for Harlem. Of course. But Charles Diggs Jr. saw himself as the representative for Black people. That's how yeah. he saw himself. Yeah. Right. There's a story that Mr. Whitehead tells me how uh, he went down to the, he was in the courtroom at the trial for the murder of Emmett Till. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the bailiff tells the judge like, oh, there's a, a Negro congressman here. And the judge looks at him and says, a Negro congressman in Mississippi? Impossible. Tell this <laughs> nigga to tell that nigga to go over there with the rest of them niggas. <laughs> right? And, and uh, Again, we're Mississippi. He's from Detroit. He didn't say, "Oh, I'm just from Detroit. Uh, I'm gonna mount mine." He said he really, right. he literally thought himself as a representative for all black people. Like he was marching with Dr. King. He didn't have an ego, because uh, Dr. King was getting all the press. Even though he was front elected from Detroit, he saw himself as an elected official for all black people. And even uh, him and him and uh, him and Clayton Powell used to get into it uh, over this. However, <laughs> what I'm the point I'm trying to make is. Uh, we don't have that kind of sense anymore. The, the Charles Diggs Juniors, where, where people really see themselves as representatives for our entire people. Um, what kind of expectations uh, can we have, or should we have, for this uh, our second uh, black mayor here in New York City? In your opinion, in your humble opinion. Yeah, well, first of all. It it's not my opinion that that's a very, very tough job. That's not an opinion. It's what I'm saying. That's a fact. <laughs> so, right. Let me not give my opinion first. Let me talk about facts. Being the mayor of New York City of any city is tough, right? Being the mayor of New York City is tough. Yeah. That brother's coming in with 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 some stuff. Look, look, he has to work with this COVID, you know, this COVID uh, program. Um he has to get money from Albany. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the struggle is, you know, with the mayors is struggling with funding from Albany, you know, and and, and federal money. Um, 
So he's coming in with a tough, tough, tough job. And he 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 knows it, right? Um, you know, he's brilliant. And he's tough himself. He's he's tough. I mean, so um my expectation with any mayor is fairness. <laughs> with any elected official is fairness. So so um I don't even say that de Blasio wasn't fair. He was just he was just having a, a tough time running this place. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? But um uh uh I I expect fairness. Mm-hmm. So and, and that's a um it's a broad I'm, I'm making a broad statement, but but that's what I base it on. It's, it's the same thing with um uh when when I was a chairperson at Gremlin State University, I had people um, working with me. My my faculty was I had Indian professors, Caucasian professors, um, of course black professors, and um, I just operated on a basis of fairness. Now, when any one of those uh, professors came up on the wrong side of fairness, right? <laughs> so me as the chairperson, it was my duty to um, to balance it out. And I'm saying that nicely. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, I, it was my duty to balance out that whatever unfairness was taking place. And I, I, I did it vocally and um, I did it with my pen administratively, right? So that... Uh, no, um, uh, none of the professors or students that may have been getting unfair treatment could say that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't address it based on fairness. I didn't base, I didn't address it based on color. I was already known. I already know I'm at a, a black institution, and I'm there for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there for it. Now I got to go and balance out human passions and deal with fairness, so that um, everybody served under justice. Right. Without without playing favorites, without playing favorites. And and also, I expect him not to um, in in that fairness, not not to not to be not to have fear. Now, all of us have some fear and we don't like to go up against certain groups of people. uh, Or some of us just don't like contention. Right. But when you go for those jobs, you're going to get that. You know, and I'm I'm probably speaking too easy because I'm not even near what Eric Adams what he's going to face, right? Or even it, or even Barack when he was in in the White House, you face some tough. It's tough. I I was the chairperson and I was crying. Never mind those positions. So uh, I'm just speaking. I'm being fair. I'm being fair to them by speaking about myself. Um, but yeah. So so I you expect. Um, that any elected official is fair and that they're fair less also. <laughs> right? So those are the two fairs. One is for justice and one is fair less. Have courage. Yes, I like that. I that's think that's that what is. it's going to take. He's already brilliant. I don't have to say I expect Eric Adams to be brilliant. He's a genius already. Okay, I'll <laughs> take that one. I'll take that one. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so... um. So with the program, this now it's the Green Ready Alternative Energy Program. Uh, you had spoke to me about some next steps, right? So, you know, education is a continuous thing. It doesn't end, right? Yeah. It goes off into infinity. So right. uh, what are your next steps for the program? What do you see? What's your grand vision for the Green Ready Alternative Energy Program? Right. Well, an immediate step uh, 
would be to um, uh, obtain a, uh, a computer analyst or a computer coder, uh, um, a top-notch student or a, an actual professor in computer science to um, uh, uh, teach our students how to, uh, or engage our students into coding for, for smart grids. You know, since our program focuses on clean energy, um, smart grids uh, uh, help to uh, control energy, um, um, regulate energy and all that between the different devices. So we would have our physical devices running and students in the, in the next phase, students would also be learning how to write the software or basic software to get the um, energy devices to quote, talk to each other um, so that the smart grid can uh, monitor the efficiency and redirect energy where it should go. Just like, you know, you know, we have smart grids now that are up and running. So that now out in, in our program, I, I want our students to take that next step and learn that industry, the coding industry towards smart grids, right? And so you know, by, by understanding how to do that, like, so where, where would you implement this? Where, where, where would you where implement it? Well, um, in, at the, you know, at the exciting level, you um, cities that are building up, cities that are building up, so our, our students can um, uh, participate or even have their own company. <laughs> they could be their own consultant firm and, and slash engineering firm that uh, deals with the construction and modeling of smart grids for, for clean energy devices, you see. So, so, so that's so, so. So, my next step for the, for the program would be that, at, um, given that I get this the person that can code, I mean, I stay in my lane. I do <laughs> I, I do mathematics, physics, chemistry, and and engineering. But as far as coding, we want somebody who's already up and running in that, so yeah. our students can have a bona fide professional in that area, yeah. uh, working with coding. And then um, a longer term goal is that our, our students are involved in, in our companies that are dealing with solar panel installation, um, wind farm technology, you know, uh, uh, constructing wind farms or designing wind farms, design, designing uh, solar panel farms, we call them, so that our students um, will be participants and creators in those fields, you see. Yeah, I mean, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, this is why I refer to this brother as the George Washington Carver of Southeast Queens. <laughs> I, you, you also nod your head, but I will give you, as I said, we will give you your flowers now. You know what yeah. I mean? But the, about the advancement, talking about true, the true use of education. Right? Education is supposed to open up doors. The education, the education, is not supposed to tell you what you can't do. It's supposed to tell you what you can do, and that's supposed to be anything in the world, right? So we're trying to expose children so they can. And, and I always say this, right? It's not that kid children taking this program have to be scientists necessarily, but uh, education. Uh, you can tell me if I'm, if you disagree, brother Rockman, is simply asking why, right? In other words, not accepting the world for as it's been presented to you, but challenging the dimensions and, and finding new things. Right. This is how we create. Yes, yeah, that's what that's what research science is. That's what researchers do. They we, we 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 we're good students. So all the PhDs out there, with all the PhDs are we're just good students at asking questions 
and we're good students at failing. Yes. So that so that when we ask a question that runs us into a brick wall, uh, we we dust ourselves off and we keep going. We don't say, well, that's the end of the experiment, or mm -hmm. or or this is the end of the road with thinking. You see, we're good students at it. <laughs> So exactly, that's, the best, exactly. that's the best thing that I am as a student. So I don't know about all that. George George Washington Carver then flew. He's on Mars. I'm just a student, so I, you know I'm not going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah. The, the, the question more important than the question more important than the answer. That's right. Question more important than the answer. So, um, in closing, is there anything you want to let the brothers and sisters out there know uh, about yourself, your program? about black education, black independence education, uh, anything whatsoever, the, uh, I'll leave the floor to you. Well, anything I'd like to say, say that Rob Rob did make a comment. Okay. And he said that uh, scientific method and logic can be applied to any subject. And that, that's the truth. That's the truth. You know, the, the method, scientific method of inquiry and also logic with, you know, con just connecting truth to truth or connecting valid truths to valid truths can be used to study any, any subject. Thank, thank you, uh, Rob. So, so again, so, so the name of this, uh, this talk is Appeal, right? Yeah, uh, Walker's Appeal, David Walker. Uh, the famous text called The Appeal about the abolition of slavery written in 1831, um, trying to advocate that we got to fight for our own freedom. No one's going no to give it to us. Right. So, 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 so that's the same appeal. I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing new. Um, I'll just be repeating what our ancestors said and, um, and, and what we should do today. But our feet, you know, while we're alive, our feet, we just keep our feet on the ground working with our students directly. Um, uh, and, and I also say that, you know, many of my colleagues, we will meet up at conferences and stuff well before COVID. And now I guess on boxes online right in zoom we'll meet and 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 the discussion is the same you know what what can we do with our children and 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 then the other discussion is like how can we get these these uh, other institutions to help fix our children but very little very little discussion at these conferences goes towards how can we pull the the 200 geniuses the 200 black geniuses in this room how can we pool our resources to start solving the problem myself and then ask for help. You know, ask for help when, when you're already doing something, you know? It's almost like when you go for, you wanna be a not-for-profit, right? Uh, what makes your proposal more substantial is that you have already been doing the work yeah. in the community, yeah. right? For at least a year or two or more, yeah. right? And then when you go write the proposal or fill out the application for a not-for-profit, you could show the work that you've already been doing exactly. and, and it warrants help. Yes. It warrants more. But, but if you just coming out, out, out the box and saying, give this to me, I'm because I'm going to do you going to say, well, what do you know how to do? I didn't even see your work. I didn't see your exactly. work. And, yeah. and, and on, on our, on our um, problem, even with my program, it's not so much that we need money. People keep uh, coming to me saying, you know, you could write a grant for this and that. Well, the program has been going for 10, for 10 years. The money's not really the issue. I need students. So, so, so look, I, many times I got money for the program, but it's been easier to get money for the program than it is to get students for the program. The thing is, is that parents 
and our and our students uh, uh, have to take an interest in science and mathematics. And if, and if they don't take an interest in the science and mathematics, um, uh, never mind having to see a black person do math in front of you all the time for you to say, oh, black people can do math. Our children know black people do math and science. They ain't really that far off where we say, oh, they're bored with school because they're still learning about Einstein and Ben Franklin. No, they're bored with school for other reasons, right? So it's not a matter of that. A, a culture, a culture and, and, and consistency of, of Black educators uh, has to be established. Um, when I mean a culture, I mean we have to be face-to-face -face with our, our students much more often than we are, not just in the public schools and not just at the college level, but at our own institutional level in our community where we're sitting down chatting and, and we're building stuff and we're chatting and we're building stuff as a culture. Sister Cindy, how you doing, Sister Cindy? Oh, I'm grand. You, you have a wonderful doctor. You have been a wonderful gift for the show tonight. Uh, I'm bringing in Rob. Rob, take it away. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. You sound muffled yeah. like you're under a pillow, but yeah. we hear you. What's up, brother? I missed you. I'm, try I'm trying to get you. Floor is yours, Rob. Peace and blessings. Uh, peace and blessings. It's been great listening to you. Uh, there is one thing that I, I wanted to ask about, and it pertains to what you just said, it, about uh, that culture of excellence. I think a lot of it, uh, we, we do a lot of damage to ourselves. Outside of sports and entertainment, we really don't Display that. There are black mathematicians, physicists, you know, but the only one who ever shows up is like Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> he's, he's excellent. He's excellent. He may be excellent, but he's like uh, the lone man in the field. <laughs> you know, and that's not the case. He isn't the only one. But he's right. Like the only one. That's right. He has. And he's all over media, and he does have an excellent position here at the planetarium. Yes. You know, that's a worldwide respected position, but he's still seen as, like, the only one. And that's damaging. It does, I believe, do damage on a wide scale when the only excellence we are shown as a reflection is the shucking and jiving, singing and dancing. That's in the media. That's in the media. That's true. That is in the media. Right. And that's so, so. not controlling any of the media space. So as a kid, if I see the only time that finance represented as Jamie Dimon, uh, governmental power represented as any number of milk post politicians not addressing my concerns, then I, I, what am I going to pursue as excellence and fame or fortune? So well, we're kind of cutting off our nose. Well, th yeah. this is why, be, besides the media, and um, what, what you said is absolutely true, 
but be, besides the media and besides what goes on in the, in, in, in the institutions that are not balanced, we're, we're alive and we can be present in any, give me any city in America and I could probably find you uh, more than 20 professionals that could come out and be present, uh, frequently be present with the students and, and the students don't have to see them on television. They can work with them side by side, just like I sit with the students. And, and I don't brag about being a PhD and all that sort of thing, but they get to see a, a, a black man who has a PhD in mathematics that knows the field of mathematics and science and sits with them as a student while studying the, uh, the content that we're experimenting with. So what I'm saying to would help mitigate that is that they don't have to look to television to see um, us on there because we're most of us in the community, but we're at home or, or we're watching Monday night football <laughs> or, or, or we rather, or I don't know, I'm just making this up. We, you know, we might go to a casino or what have you, you know, I'm not down and partying and stuff. I, I enjoy partying with the family and everything. But if we make ourselves responsible, if we make ourselves responsible, and and I like to think of this logistically, and that's why I just mentioned how frequent. If each person makes themselves responsible twice a week to be face to face with with the students, you know, I mean, that's great. And then another person makes themselves responsible twice a week, and another. Then it's not a burden on any one person. Also, you see. And then the student will have, um, they'll be working with a professor or an expert in actual facts in real time, not just watching them on television. So it's the same thing that I went to Clark Atlanta University. When I, when I went there, I was surrounded by so many geniuses and historic figures. Well, my own mentor, Dr. Abdul Aleem Shabazz, um, he developed... He developed more than 50% of the black PhDs uh, uh, in, in North America. Why do you think that's sort of What's deep that? communities missing? Like, well, when I say deep community, like I'm a vet. So I know, you know, that there are other vets and vet communities that we can go and we'll meet at a vet center or at the VA and we're talking guys that are 20 years, 30 years older, you know, younger guys who may have been injured or whatever. But if we're all in the same room, those ties are evident because of the way we communicate. Yes. You have the same phenomenon, I'm sure, among like you get a bunch of AKs in the same room. <laughs> you're going to have that same type of sorority or fraternal dimension kick in conversation that kind of commitment and that kind of ties are what it are what are at play i think when you see that kind of community commitment to education if i go over into flushing i'll walk down a block and i will see a korean after school study center a Chinese after-school study center, 
That's right. You know, dedicated to their kids having a space to go, whether they want to or not. Right. You learn this. Yes. Yes. Well, that's all I'm. That's all I'm advocating that we put our time and energy into doing the same. That's all. So if we can come out here and shed and have these fraternal groups and organizations, institutions, berate us to vote for the this other party that's not going to do anything for us yet another election cycle. <laughs> Why can't we get that same righteous energy from these institutions? to build a god thing after school center. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. You know, that's real fraternity. That's real community. Yes. We don't need another march. No way. No way. <laughs> we right, we just gotta put we be marching we should be marching in the community with our students. Yeah, we sure. marching our feet Marching our feet to the center to teach them at night. <laughs> you know, but if you're saying that you can't get the students in there, that that's a that's our problem. That's on us. Yeah, yeah. So right. That's that's what speak, I'm saying. Correct. That issue. Correct. Because uh, I know Brother Rockman. Yeah, he's been doing it for ten years, and you actually start out in Queens, right? The first one you did was in yes. Heights. Yeah. But since you've done it in Brooklyn, you've done it in Harlem. Queen, Southeast Queens has always been very unique. Uh, the, the, we all live, everybody here, right? Uh, not everybody here. The folks uh, imagine this this cast right here, we all live in Southeast Queens. Southeast Queens is a bit different, right? So it's not like we're not in a building and, you know, it's very dispersed. And part of the, 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 the reason that drives a lot of people to Queens, and you can debate this, is that we you go to Queens to, to buy a house, so you can technically get away a little bit, right? You go into your gate, you go into your house, you got your four walls, <laughs> you close the door, everything stays outside. And so it's it's not as engaging in some points. And so therefore, um, you really have to know folks, right? Uh, and not just know folks, you got to know folks and they got to trust you. And so that's what, so it all starts to trust. And so that we do have, but then, you know, identifying the parents that will trust you uh, and then identifying students who are, directly within our age range because we did have a few students who were just kind of young on the youngest side that it was oh, yeah, um, yeah. could have ran but uh, so we were really trying to target the, the 12 to actually we were trying to target 15 to 17 but right. the 17 year olds that's a whole other issue with <laughs> the 17 yeah. and 16 year olds so we found a sweet spot between 12 and 15 where uh, you can still engage them they're still open minded they're still uh, you know the world's still wide eyed they're not clink, they're not uh, locked in to what they think they want to do, and so uh, they're a lot more receptive to it. Right, so you know, it's just a, it's just, it's a, that's a process. It's our, it's our first time doing it in St. Albans at this specific location, the Africa Center for Community Empowerment, the corner of Farmers and One Eleven. <laughs> Shout out, to brother Saywa Kesley, Saywala Kesley. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's just a process. I, I have no doubt uh, that we'll be able to grow it. You know. Um, uh, yeah, so it's just the yeah, process. That's all. We intend to start back up um, next uh, February of 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so if the word is out all through um, Christmas and after Christmas and, and New Year's, <laughs> we keep keep the word going and spread it. Then we should have more. We should have more students. Yeah, yeah. and because and then also right because uh, again, 
it's not like like some places in Brooklyn and Harlem where it's spread out because uh, two of the two two of the girls are coming from 270, right? They're not immediately in the area. Uh, ISPS 270 is over on Merrick 30th, right? Uh, and they get out of it for so, right? right? Uh, if their mother isn't able to take them, you know, or, then that that becomes a, an issue too. So it's this right. proximity. It's really spread out. So what you have on a block is probably what you have on the floor in in, in some in, in certain buildings in Brooklyn, right? In Harlem, sure. Everything. So we got this this uh this distance. Anyway, my point is, I'm talking logistics. I don't need to get into logistics. The point is, we're doing the people's work, <laughs> and it's just a process. Uh, yeah. But we do have a good a, a good set of kids uh, for the, this this fall. Oh yeah, we're having fun. We're having fun. <laughs> yeah. Nice experiments. The experiments. Are, um, sometimes they work out beautiful. Sometimes they don't. And that's what the when it perplexes the mind, it's more interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, again, that's why I said the education is just if right. you why you learn more from your errors than you do your successes anyway. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's what it's so, teaching. Um, Rob, any closing thoughts? And then we go to Brother Rockman and then we can. Uh, <laughs> we can yeah, I appreciate what he does. I hope to have him back on and hope we can give him more exposure, get more kids in the program, grow the program. It's the kind of stuff that I. Think we're all dedicated to seeing growing our communities. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Brother Rockman, any closing thoughts? Yes, just um, let us let us keep pressing on and making ourselves responsible to help ourselves. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> so uh, again, today's show was about uh, the independent the importance of independent black independent black education. And um, I'm going to leave with a quote. <laughs> we always talk about black institutions. And uh, it's from Charles Diggs Jr. talking about Jet Magazine. And he says, I think the picture in Jet Magazine showing Emmett Till's mutilation was probably the greatest media product in the last 40 or 50 years because that picture simulated a lot of interest and anger in the hearts of blacks all over the country, right? So it, so in him saying that, it was Jet Magazine. And again, that was just uh, Charles Diggs Jr., um, what I would consider the black representative at that time who, who really saw the his his role. And that's how we should all see ourselves. We all should see ourselves as advocates for black. No matter what right. you do in life, you right. should see yourself as an advocate for your people. Um, and uh, so uh, th thank you. Thank you, Brother Rockman. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Uh, to all my Africans, Africans, Africanettes, those of you who are African adjacent, Sister Cindy Ashby, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I appreciate you. Don't forget to check us out on otw2.com. Um, and I'll see you next week. Uh, yes. I want brothers and sisters. Peace, peace and blessings. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Dian. Cindy Ashwin Duck, Ashwin Duck, Ashwin Duck, Ashwin Duck, Ashwin Duck. On the wake up.
hear it is, y'all. Are you tired of being censored? Shadow banned? Shit, are you just tired of creating content and making these platforms famous? Well, I'm asking you to support OTW2. It's the black YouTube. Why, you may say? Because our content is important and necessary. And because anytime we tell the truth, they shut us down on their platform. So we are behind enemy lines, so we cannot complain. We just got to move accordingly, smarter. So since we know many of our people won't just jump ship and go to a black site, what I'm telling you to do is don't post everything that is great on their platform. Give them perfect people a 10-second snippet, a 15-second snippet, and make them come to OTWTube and come check you out. Support black things or stop complaining. Because only unity, black unity, and black economics can change our situation. Wake up, y'all. OTWTube is where it's at.